Welcome to TEH, the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about what they find interesting in tech this week. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash teh74. We have two hosts this week, probably the minimal viable podcast accompaniment here. Uh, I'm Leo Notenboom, the Leo behind AskLeo.com, chief question answerer out there. I'm also the publisher of a couple of non-tech sites, notallnewsisbad.com, a daily antidote for everything else you see in the media these days, and heroicstories.org, twice-weekly stories of people, you know, just being good people. Oh, so who's the other host? Oh, it must be me. <laughs> I'm Gary Rosenzweig. I uh, do Mac, Mac-like things at macmost.com, teach you how to use your Mac and stuff, and I develop apps, and I feel like I should have more to say because yours was yours sounded so great, all the cool things you do. I don't know. I do WordPress blogging sometimes. Uh, I, yeah, I do lots of I – do, I do internet stuff. That's what I tell people. <laughs> Well, that's just sort of a generic answer for all of us, I think. Yeah. Internet stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. I was thinking about it earlier. It's almost like we're doing the, if if I were just a little bit more uh, militant about being Windows and Microsoft only, this would be the Mac versus PC version of the podcast. Since oh, yeah. And I'm primarily primarily giving support for PC users, except, of course, um, the the not so deep, dark secret is that. Uh, a, I'm looking at a Mac, and I've got Linux boxes in my <laughs> basement, and you know, just I'm, I just love technology in all its flavors. I do too, and and uh, you know what? I mean, there are there are tools, and if if it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if I had to use a PC and Windows, I'm sure I'd figure all the stuff out like I have now, just in a different, slightly different way. And do you have any Linux boxes? I. Do I? I have a Raspberry Pi somewhere that's running a TV uh, with, you know, weather and stuff. So I guess that counts. That is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, the it's, one thing I haven't played with are the Raspberry Pis. I find them fascinating. Just, you know, little tiny, little tiny, and yet they're still very powerful machines. Well, I actually got, so the Raspberry Pi I've got runs something called DACBoard, D-A-K-B-O-A-R-D. And it's software that just throws stuff up on the screen. So like weather, an RSS feed for news, photos in the background, you know, t- a clock. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually, I think, used like in big arenas, like maybe a hotel lobby or something, you know, to run the TV behind the, the front desk or whatever. And uh, and I, I actually uh, bought a house uh, years ago that had a TV in the bathroom. <laughs> and so here's the thing so the tv's in the bathroom and apparently it had been installed back in the days when you know you had cable and you could just hook cable up to as many tvs as you wanted right you know so uh, and now of course we're in the era where it's all everything digital and i've got a little satellite dish and you pay per tv right you know? so i was not going to pay for just you know tv in the bathroom um and uh so I don't know what to do with it, but I thought I'd hook it up to a Roku box or an, an old Apple TV or something and found out the sound wasn't working. And called, <sighs> called the company and found out the, that it was a really old model back in the days when people would have been impressed by an LCD TV. Right. Uh, cost a lot of money and was mainly sold to like restaurants to put it into bathrooms. So as you washed your hands, mm. you would look up and it's part of the mirror would have this LCD TV in it and it would show ads. So it was not worth fixing. There was a logic board issue they had diagnosed. And uh, so, but then I realized, hey, the picture's fine. I just don't have sound. 
So then I looked into it, bought a $30 Raspberry Pi, installed this DAC board software, and now in the bathroom, it shows you five-day forecast, the current temperature, <laughs> uh, rotates, uh, new, you know, what's going on in the news, and it's got a clock. So in the middle of the night, when I get up to use the facilities, I can, number one, tell what time it is. Number two, if I'm curious about what's, what's the weather going to be like tomorrow, I see it. And number three, the news feed is hopefully going to show mundane things, meaning that we haven't you know, gone to war or you know, the zombie Something apocalypse. Something that will let started. you go back to sleep. Yeah, yeah. it's like, oh, okay, all, all, <laughs> seems, all seems well. These are frivolous clickbait headlines. I can just go to sleep now. That's funny. And they, so this, I, I was going to talk about what I did this weekend, but to jump the gun on part of it, there was a Raspberry Pi involved. Go for um, it. Kind of. Um, well, we, at least we tried. There was a, a this cool, uh, my friend of mine who I was staying with uh, has, uh, has a lot of camera equipment and a telescope, and he has a Raspberry Pi that basically uh, uh, you know allows you to take astrophotography and all this stuff mounted to a uh, you know, like a telescope mount that'll, you know, rotate and get signals. Right. And I thought that was pretty cool. We never actually used it, but he showed me the whole thing. Um, and it actually, you programmed it from the computer. So I forget if it was, I think it might have been Bluetooth or something. So it was actually an app you used and you were able to program it to do things like with your camera to take, you know, with like a series of pictures, you know, that could be stitched together and that kind of thing. So that was kind of cool. And it made me want to like get, maybe more, you know, Raspberry Pi stuff and play around with it. Interesting. The one thing about astrophotography that always both fascinates and frustrates me is I've got no problem, you know, setting my camera up to take a nice long exposure of the night sky. But of course, it's not standing still. And the whole thing about taking a good picture yeah. of the stars is to put your camera or whatever on a mount that is automatically synchronized to the rotation of the Earth. Yep. I'm assuming that that's like the bare minimum of what his, his equipment is yeah, doing. He's got that, yeah. 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 Um, that's, that's always kind of fascinating. Me. The, the biggest issue I have is I can't, I, have a, I can't yet conceptualize where I'm supposed to have the axis on, on this thing, right? Which way I'm supposed to be pointing it. I think it's supposed to be parallel with the axis of the Earth, but, uh, but I'm never yeah. sure. Yeah, so he had, so we didn't use the Raspberry Pi thing with the camera, but we did use the tripod with the motor and its its own built-in computer mm -hmm. and you know the interesting thing about that was um we didn't we didn't want to take the time to calibrate it um to do that so we, you could say okay go to jupiter and it would take you to the neighborhood of jupiter but then we just <laughs> manually found jupiter after that right you could have calibrated it and it would take it right there but then the cool thing was just automatically it it moved with you know the earth so right. that instead of that thing where like, oh, I'm looking at Jupiter and it's out of view. Oh, let me adjust a bit. Okay, now it's out of view again. You know, um, it didn't, you didn't have to do that. You put it in the center and you could stare at Jupiter as long as you wanted. And it was still in the center of the eyepiece. Yeah, yeah. yeah. cool stuff. So what else been going on? Oh, so, so yeah, so that was interesting. So I traveled most of this week and I was visiting a friend, this friend with a telescope. And uh, from a tech standpoint, interesting because he's got a lot of tech there because he's living off-grid uh, is in an area of New Mexico where uh, there are a lot of people live off-grid simply because there's no grid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I learned a lot about the technology that allows you to do that. Um, he, you know, and 
and I think a lot of people think off grid and they think, oh, you're not, you're not connected to the internet or watching TV or anything. And that couldn't be further from the truth. In his case, you know, he has uh, internet connectivity wirelessly to a, a, a wireless internet service some miles away. So he's got not exactly, I would say, super high speed internet, but decent enough to watch Netflix. Right. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, check email, upload things, watch YouTube videos, that kind of thing. I assume the, the grid that he's off then is the power grid. Right. Well, and every, any other actual physical connection. So power grid and, and no water, no heating fuel, you know, a oh. propane tank for heating fuel. Um, water was collected in cisterns off the roof and put through a double filter system into a pressure tank and then pumped into the house and every sink had hot, cold, and drinking taps. So you could, you know, do that. They had a, a heater thing for the hot water, but if you wanted to drink out of it, you could most likely drink out of the regular cold water since it was going through two filters already. But the third tap there on the sink was, yeah, third filter, like a fil- local one there. So you had your drinking water, and then for electricity, he had a set of solar panels, much smaller than what I thought. I was under the impression that really to get by, you needed to have a big array, like covering your whole roof, right? and you still would have to do without. He had actually a pretty modest square array on a tall pole. Um, I think it was basically like four panels, maybe eight panels, I'm trying to remember, um, and, uh, and basically a set of batteries that sat, there was like, basically he had his own utility company in a shed right. with the batteries and the water filter and the propane tank. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, they charge up the batteries all day and they'd usually reach hundred percent or something. And then, uh, you know, run off them at night. The whole house was super energy efficient, which meant, you know, led bulbs, right. um, special refrigerator freezer that was super energy efficient. Uh, but you know, they, even if they they had a, I guess a stove that was propane, propane, but then the, like, I think the oven was electric, but very efficient and a few other really efficient things going on in the house to allow them to do, do stuff like they had laptops so that they're, they were getting their own little reservoir of power in the batteries. Right. And they did, you know, lose power every once in a while. Um, because there's a certain efficiency level that the batteries need to operate at and they'll cut off. Uh, so there was a, a little bit of that, but in general, it really didn't affect things too much. Um, I also learned that he, his solar panels aren't on; they're not; they don't move. Sometimes they move with the sun, right? His, right. Much like we were just talking about with respect to the astronomy stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So his don't move, and the funny thing was, is it's right around the solstice, so you'd think he'd be getting maximum, you know, electricity now, but it's not true because uh, since they don't move. In the at this time of the year, the sun actually rises slightly behind and off to the side. <laughs> so oh, right, right. You're there. It's like eight in the morning, and you have this bright, bright sunlight, but it's not hitting the panels. But panels he's probably are, optimized for what mid-year? Yeah, mid-year. Yeah, you want to optimize you, you know, for even for a little, probably a little later, because the winter that's the tough time. Right. You know, we have less sunlight and it's less direct, and and you're using more of it because um, you have less light, you know, during during the day. Um, but it was interesting uh, seeing all that and just, you know, living a completely modern lifestyle, everything you'd expect, except nothing connected to, to you know, any kind of grid or 
other system. I think weren't, weren't we talking about a few episodes ago about solar panels and how they've actually become significantly more efficient in recent years? Um, they've become yeah. more, much more efficient and also much less costly. Well, so a, a lot of what he's doing is, is it's just more pragmatic now than it's ever been before. Exactly. And, uh, you know, he had some, uh, his solar panels are getting old, so they're not as efficient as they were, you know, because they mm-hmm. get old and stuff like that. So he's talking about eventually they're going to have to get new ones or perhaps get new ones, but maybe point these uh, in a slightly different direction. So maybe they don't do that much work, but they get that morning sun uh, right. in, in, the, uh, in the summer and that kind of thing. Yeah, if they're, still, if they're still putting out electricity and it makes sense for him to be able to add solar panels instead of replace them. Right. And he said, you know, <clears throat> for a while the thinking was have all your panels always pointed and being as efficient as possible. But now you see houses that actually have them pointed in different directions because the price of solar panels has come down enough that it's just cheaper just to stick more solar panels facing different directions than, than turn a lot of time. Right. Um, he's also – so he's, he's close to um, – of like a place where they build these earthship uh, houses, which are built into the ground, and they're supposed to be super energy efficient, um, and, they, and they have all these weird, funky designs, and they've been around for a few decades, and they all actually have windows that face south, and these huge you know, glass windows. So basically, one one side of the house is glass, mm-hmm. the other side of the house is underground because you right. kind of built into the side of you know a mound of dirt. Uh, and that's interesting because they are all angled to be more efficient for the sun in the winter. So as the sun is lower on the horizon, it's pointing directly at the windows, letting more heat in, heating up the house so that the, uh, you know, you, you could be warm even though it's below freezing outside. Right. But the funny thing is he said the new ones are actually, have abandoned that because it's better to have the windows vertical because even if you have just a slight angle for the windows to point at the sun, you have to deal with, you know, number one, uh, you know, rainwater because right. there's a little bit of vertical or uh, horizontal lens to them. So they have to be sealed. You have to deal with dust because dust will accumulate on all these things you don't have to deal with when you just have them vertical. Right. So, and I was thinking of dust accumulating on them and uh, the occasional bird dropping something on them as well. So the other thing um, uh, I, I wanted to bring up that I thought was interesting and I thought of, uh, our podcast when I saw it was I we went uh, drove this was near Taos New Mexico and drove in there and it happened to be their Saturday morning farmers market and I was uh, <laughs> surprised to see that one of the booths wasn't selling farm you know farm fresh foods but was selling conspiracies <laughs> um, <laughs> it, so here's the funny thing there were two conspiracies that they were railing against in this in this booth uh one was chemtrails really so so the so the old conspiracy and the other was so new it it can't even how can it even be conspiracy yet 5g the 5g conspiracy so i had to look this up and it's actually a big deal there's a the 5g conspiracy going on which is like, okay, what 5G? <laughs> There's no 5G around here. There's no 5G anywhere except, I think, a few blocks of some cities where they're testing. But apparently, what's the what's the, what's the supposed conspiracy all about? Well, I didn't. I, I did. I was having a good time, and I didn't feel like getting into an argument, so I didn't go over to the booth. <laughs> but I decided to look it up, and uh, basically, there are two 5G conspiracy things. One is the old 
you know, electromagnetic waves are going to kill us, give us cancer, fry our brains, all that stuff. So right. apparently, oh, you know, now that we've had for decades regular cell phone stuff and Wi-Fi and all this, and that hasn't killed us off, um, well, maybe it'll be this new type of use of, right. of right. wireless. And then the other one is that 5G is actually government mind control. Oh. That the, the little 5G towers going up are, are not only going to provide us with you know, very fast internet on our phones, but also going to somehow control our minds. So when I my thinking, I want what I wanted to ask is, but is aren't the chemtrails already doing that? What do they need? To, why do why spend the money on five G if we're already? So, well, yeah. if we see a sudden uptick in the sales of tinfoil hats, we'll know that this one's taken ground. Yeah, that's that's yeah. It's weird. <clears throat> One of the uh, the articles, I, I actually touched on this phrase, uh, I don't know if it was this week, last week. People are afraid of what they don't understand. Right. And this is just such a clear, clear indication of that. Um, yeah, I mean, let's face it, 5G, I don't think I understand it. I mean, other than it's it's radio, which I do understand, and it's a different frequency, which is great. But beyond that, exactly how the cellular network deals with it all and so forth, you got me. Um, but not to the point of, of you know, not being able to, um, you know, to actually be afraid of it because they don't understand it. That's just something that I have a, well, to be honest, I have a hard time understanding. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm also interested in like, where's the money? Like, what? there was somebody out there, there's a whole booth. I mean, it could have just been thrown together in somebody's garage, I'm sure. But, it, you know, there were things that were printed. There was material to be handed out. I don't know if it cost money to actually have a booth there. Um, but it, it was like, who is supporting this? And I caught up a weird partial answer is that it actually may be some of the same people that tried to interfere with our elections with just trying to post, you know, fake news style articles and uh, tweets and so what's the Facebook goal stuff. just generally destabilizing yeah. our trust in everybody try yeah uh, maybe it'll make maybe doing this will make it a little bit harder well uh i did see an article as so i was researching this trying to find out that there are a couple places where uh the people with the conspiracy theories have gotten their local towns or counties to uh hold off on the 5g stuff so you know verizon will come in or at&t whoever and say here we need these permits for these new towers and the city councils have actually held off on the permits for further study or for an environmental review or something oh, man. and that's all because of some conspiracy person showing up at a city council meeting or county board meeting or whatever it is and and demanding that the city do something about it so it's our, so it's costing money, making us spend a little money, making us a little more distrustful, maybe delaying the rollout of 5G universally. Who knows? I was wondering if, if it might be an underhanded technique by um, the cell companies that don't have 5G <laughs> yeah. um, frequency allocated in to try and slow it all down. But Again, that too is a conspiracy theory that that goes a little bit further than I think we want to uh, consider. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just it's just weird. Yes, yeah. Well, what are you going to do? It's funny because we um, we had a years ago we had a family member 
who uh, <laughs> it's one of those one of those stereotypical things. It's Thanksgiving. You see these people once a year. And, you know, they find out that you're the guy that understands technology. So all of a sudden you get cornered and he's explaining to me how, uh, you know, how the, the U.S. government has a, um, an array of antennas up in Alaska. Uh, they're the remote um, detection at the time for the Cold War for incoming um, Soviet nuclear missiles, right? Mm-hmm. And he was saying that, no, 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 that's not what they're doing at all. They're actually transmitting, again, mind control uh, back towards the, uh, you know, around the planet and to the United States to to try and more effectively control its people. Uh, yeah. yeah. So none of this is new. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well. <laughs> I'll have to keep an eye out at my next uh, farmer's market. We're We're slightly... We're not in the middle of New Mexico here, but we definitely are allowed to uh, to have non-farmers markety type of booths. But yeah. more often than not, they end up being things like political candidates, local, you know, you know they just rent a booth and, and have mm-hmm. their material available there. Uh, but that's about it. I just wanted some peaches. That's all I wanted out of my farmer's market. <laughs> we go, let's see, we've been for um, strawberries. They were in season about uh, about three weeks ago. Yeah, oh, yeah. We're good. Uh, we go periodically. The dog goes because there's kettle corn, and kettle corn is not something that you can do without creating a mess, and the dog is more than happy to help clean up. Ah, okay. Uh, anyway. So one of the things that I'm doing today, I mentioned it to you earlier, but one of the things I'm doing today, with Kevin not being here, let me back up. Mm-hmm. As Ask Leo listeners and readers will know, I'm all about backing up. I'm, I'm, I'm fanatical about it. It's to me, it's like the best thing ever. It'll save you from just about anything that might go wrong. Kevin must feel the same way because, uh, for a while unbeknownst to us, but then eventually, you know, he mentioned it in passing somewhere. He would, while these shows were being recorded, actually create a recording of his own. And he used some software on his Mac called, uh, let's see, I've got it sitting here. It's a piezo. Um, it's not free, but it is, um, you know, inexpensive. And it's, you know, it'll record your microphone and what's going on in the system at the same time. I happen to grab a copy of that, but, uh, you know, just so that if I wanted to, I could. I am not using it tonight. I'm using something else. What I wanted was a platform independent solution because sometimes I actually do record this on a different machine. I'm downstairs in my office using my uh, laptop, which is running Windows 10. So it dawned on me that Camtasia is all about recording. Now it's designed to record your screen, but as a side effect, it also, of course, records the microphone so that you can talk along with it, and it records your system audio so that you can optionally record your system audio so that you can capture the sounds that, that your computer is making as you're demonstrating whatever it is you're demonstrating on the screen. So tonight's grand experiment is that I have uh, Camtasia uh, in my, on my Mac in this particular case running, and it is recording both my microphone and the system audio, but it's not recording the screen. So if uh, for whatever reason, uh, this hasn't happened yet, but if it ever does happen, if, if the, uh, we happen to use Zoom, if the Zoom recording fails, 
then uh, maybe, just maybe, we still have a backup. I just thought it was an interesting technique that uh, some of our listeners might be interested in just because it's taking an existing tool that does a, I, I, I love Camtasia for screen recording, but to actually use it in uh, what one might consider to be a non-obvious or non-standard way to, uh, to solve a problem. Yeah, uh, and it's not trivial to record system audio. That is um, correct. As all any like utility that records audio or screen captures or that the the cheap stuff, you know, the stuff that's either free or costs you know twenty, thirty, forty bucks, usually doesn't do it. And only the high end like Camtasia or ScreenFlow seem to have that built in. Others have ways you know, like a Mac. There's something called Soundflower, which routes your system audio and makes it look like a new piece of audio and stuff but it is uh it is something it's a little difficult to do so um but yeah camtasia and screenflow are both two apps that have a big base and they have a hundred dollar price tags and uh so they it's worthwhile for them to engineer the entire thing and have that what i find fascinating is that uh, it was in windows 7 so this actually goes back several years already <clears throat> but microsoft actually re-architected the entire path for audio and video in Windows. And the reason they did that, uh, let's see, did they have an ostensibly, did they, did they actually have a reason that they told the public? Not really. <laughs> the real reason was the fact that they needed to be able to uh, play content-protected, a copy-protected audio and video, as in, DVDs and Blu-rays. Uh, there needed to be a path through the system that could not be hijacked mm. and therefore recorded. And I believe that's the way it is today. But it en did end up making the path more complex in several different ways. Uh, so getting anything hooked in there uh, is indeed quite the feat. It's, not a, it's a, it's a non-trivial piece of software to be able to do that. Given that this will work, um, or looks to be working here on the Mac, I'll be trying it on the, on the PC at some point. One of the statements that I've made for a long, long time, people often try to uh, protect the content that they create or that they share in some way uh, from being copied. And that goes from everything from email to uh, stuff you publish on the website. And every once in a while, you see some feeble attempts. Uh, you know, uh, the, the control C the, or command C is disabled on some websites in, in an effort to make it uh, impossible uh, mm. for you to copy, you know, copy paste the text out. Of course, it doesn't make it impossible. It just makes it a challenge. And it's not really that challenging in a lot of cases for that to happen. My sense, and I, this is something I have to experiment with, with uh, Camtasia, but I know that uh, streaming a video can often simply be recorded by rec you know, firing up something like a screen recorder and recording it as it goes by. You're stuck to real-time recording. You can't, you know, you can't, you could duplicate a DVD in a few minutes, but you still would have to play multiple hours of video if you were going to try and, and record it that way. Uh, so that's something I'll end up having to try here too. But uh, anyway, like I said, just sort of sort of interesting stuff. Yep. Indeed. So we do. Uh, we actually have a whole bunch of stories. We did pretty good for just two of us. We've got a 
bunch of things to talk about. Yeah, and what I wanted, in fact, this is probably something I might ask again, but I'm just sort of curious if you've got any um, go-to sources of tech news. We've mentioned before that one of the things that typically happens, it's we record this on a Monday evening, um, and usually about Monday afternoon, sometimes late afternoon, uh, we run out to our favorite news sources and see what's interesting to talk about. I know that it's exactly what I do. I'm just curious if you've got any you know, go-to sources that... Uh, yeah, I don't, let's see, I, I mean, what I do a lot of times is I go to Apple News, not the Apple News Plus that you pay for, but just the regular Apple News, and there, there is, um, there's, you know, they'll just have a kind of, I don't know if it's curated or just aggregated, but lots of the sites, the typical sites that carry tech news, um, TechCrunch and CNET and, uh, and all of that. So the good thing about doing it that way is instead of, you know, relying on four or five or 10 specific sites, uh, there might be new things in there that I may not have known about. So I can kind of get a good, uh, good overview. The, the downside is sometimes there's a lot of tech news and sometimes I could scroll down the page and feel like, Oh wow. Okay. I'm getting to really old stuff here. And then looking at the stories I'm reading are only three hours old, <laughs> you know? So it's been like, Oh, this has been the afternoon's worth of tech news. I'm not even on what, what was yesterday's tech news yet? So there could be a lot of it. And a lot of the stories are very mundane or you know, tiny. Um, I think partially because bloggers, you know, news bloggers at these news sites, sometimes they don't know what's going to be interesting. And instead of second guessing themselves and saying, this isn't worth writing about, and then only to have a, a competitor write about it. And it turns out lots of people want to read about it. Um, they just rather say, oh, if it's remotely interesting, just do a story. You know, so you end up with stuff that's like, really, why do people even care? Right. You know, some analyst just yawns at something and then, oh, it's a whole story, <laughs> you know. Well, uh, you've certainly heard me talk about how, how a lot of uh, news sources essentially take non-stories and blow them out of proportion with clickbait yeah. headlines. So. Yeah, I see that. And I think that's the, uh, the one end is sensationalizing. The other end is just, stories that are boring to begin with and they're still boring when you read them. I mean, they're just like not, they're just little things like little tiny things that I don't know. They're almost like non news, but I, it probably depends on the day too. And there's probably quotas to be filled. And so you're that. doing this mostly through Apple news. Do you have any other yeah. specific sources? Cause yeah. I actually use a completely different approach. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, no, I don't have, I mean, most of the sources that we, I bet you the sources you're going to name, probably are covered by the there's a i go to the technology section so i don't just just apple news by itself that's going sure. to be politics and and breaking news stories and stuff i click on uh, technology as a subcategory and all of those different places you would expect are listed there all jumbled together it's interesting because i i have done the equivalent of that with google news you can do exactly the same thing just go to yeah. the uh, the technology section of google news but for some reason <clears throat> i've never really found it terribly compelling so what I end up doing instead is I have a, uh, an RSS reader. Uh, I happen to use Feedly, and I am subscribed to, I'm just looking here, at least 20 or 30 different sites of tech news that uh, tech news and tech support, and in some cases, uh, some sites that are specific uh, product are, are the feeds from specific tech companies. 
uh, often in the security realm. Uh, so, for example, uh, Kaspersky is a good one. They, uh, you know, they obviously they have an internet uh, safety security package that they sell and antivirus tools and so forth. But they also have a really interesting blog that talks about interesting things from time to time. And I'm not sure how often those kinds of news stories actually end up making the quote unquote mainstream of Apple News or Google News. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a number of those that fall into that category. Uh, Kaspersky, Naked Security, Graham Cluley. Uh, let's see what else is oh, uh, Schneier on security. Don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, those kinds of, oh, and Therat, Paul Therat. Uh, so there's a number of those very specific, very targeted sources that, I mean, obviously I don't mention something from them here each week, but they are good. Uh, and what I consider to be extremely trustworthy sources. Uh, as you were talking about the stuff that you find in Apple news, one of the concerns that I have whenever I stumble across an aggregator that's pulling news from a lot of different sites is that not only do I have to determine whether the story is interesting or not, but I then have to go in and often do the additional step of vetting the source, right? Because it may have come from a source that I've not heard of before. But yeah, I'm sure that a lot of the, a lot of the sources I've got here are uh, things that you'll end up finding. Oh, yeah. I do GeekWire specifically because they're local to me. I do both GeekWire, which even though they're a national service, they're headlined or uh, they're headquartered here in Seattle, and they actually turn out to also do occasional uh, more locally focused stuff, which I find interesting. I also do the Seattle Times for exactly that reason. We're in a tech-heavy environment, so of course they've got a relatively good tech um, support and given or a tech section, and given that their audience is the average consumer, very often I find that the things they choose to talk about are things that uh, are worth talking about to my audience, which is not always the case. In fact, I'd say 80% of the time, the news stories that I run across on all of these other sites like GeekWire and uh, PC World and uh, let's see, what if I got Slashdot, TechCrunch, TechBeam, The Guardian, uh, The Verge, uh, all those news sites, a lot of the times those are focused at other technologists which is great and informative, but I'm here. A lot of what I try to do is represent the average person and that those kinds of news stories aren't of interest to them. What they care about is what affects them on a daily basis. So getting the tech news from a local newspaper, a big uh, tech knowledgeable local newspaper actually turns out to be pretty, pretty valuable. Um, yeah, it's funny you mentioned uh, Slashdot because I, I keep forgetting that Slashdot exists. <laughs> I used to, I mean, when Slashdot started, that was my front page. I mean, that's right. every morning, afternoon, whatever. That's I would just read Slashdot all the time. Yep. And then I got carried away by Dig. Remember, Dig kind of yep. took over. Yep. Uh, a lot of people from Slashdot moved over to Dig. And the Dig, I'm just looking now, it's still there, but it looks a lot different. Yep. I'm quite sure what it is now. Um, but uh, yeah, so... I keep forgetting. I really should get back into Slashdot. The other um, two other sites I wanted to mention, just because they make a lot of sense to me. One is uh, Bleeping Computer. Technically, it's it's a tech support site, not that different from Ask Clio, except that it's very very heavily focused on malware and mm. uh, breaches and those kinds of things. And they just do an excellent job of bringing. Uh, awareness to a lot of issues, often, again, not necessarily in terminology that I would throw at the average consumer, but they do a great job of explaining things in ways that um, you know, technologists can then take and turn into something 
that uh, helps you understand whether or not it's important to the average consumer and then translate it into, into actionable items for them. The thing that's missing from both of our lists, which kind of surprises me, um, is Reddit. Well, I, I, I was actually just about to bring that up. Okay. Bring because it up, I, please. I, well, because you know, Reddit's interesting. So I'm trying to think what, what happened. I, I mean, years ago I did Dig. What do I do now that is like Splashdot and Dig? And it's Reddit, but um, I, I definitely i am around. I look around in the Mac forums because I like, get to see what questions people are asking, which helps me with Mac most. But also I, will, I use it heavily for local stuff. So I do the my local Reddit, which is R Denver, um, and I found it to be a kind of a better source of news and public opinion than any publication because our, our newspaper here has kind of gone through some changes and it's it's crap, and, uh, <laughs> and we have we have a another upstart Sorry. newspaper which is good, but it's very it's very much not breaking news stuff now. It is more politics and you know long form stuff so to know what's going on just what's going on you know um i find that the reddit group is great for that because if something's happening somebody's going to post about it something whether it's you know a bunch of police cars at a major intersection downtown or a fire or you know a new something in a new building going up you know business shutting down whatever it is somebody's going to post about it of course most of the content is opinion. You know, there'll there'll be a post, maybe a few sentences, and maybe a link, and then it's Reddit's all about the comments. And the comments are weird because <laughs> very charged one way or another. Uh-huh. Reddit Reddit is a very strange thing because I don't think you can put Reddit into like one category because there are certainly places on Reddit where it's filled with genuine fake news. Uh, it's filled with really inflammatory opinions and uh, comments and stuff. And there are other places that are not because it's a big thing. You know, a subreddit could be a great place where people talk about a hobby or a topic or something, or it could be a real mess. Um, and it's you have to almost take each subreddit as its own site and say, this one is really bad. This one's pretty good. You know, and... Uh, yeah, yeah. It's funny. I've, I've tried to spend some time in the um, Microsoft and Windows related uh, subreddits, ah. and I've never really found them to be particularly useful. Uh, certainly, there's no shortage of opinions. I'll just call them opinions. And um, so I've, I've actually ended up not spending much time there. Where I do use Reddit heavily, um, almost daily, as it turns out, is when I'm poking around for things to feature in Not All News is Bad. There are a couple of subreddits uh, specifically for good news, uplifting news, whatever. And the format there works really, really well for me. People are posting links to articles about good news stories, and I can see which ones are popular, which ones are showing up over and over again. I can see which ones are really good but aren't getting the press they deserve, and uh, I pick and choose from there. So that's like my number one source for things to post. Yeah, there, there's uh, sometimes I, uh, I mean, I, as I do the Mac stuff, I you know look see what questions people are asking. I for a while I did. Subreddits like today I learned, which is right. just people posting information about stuff. It's like hitting the random button on Wikipedia. 
Um, the only right. problem with it is that you know you discover it, and then after a few days, you think this is great, and after a few months, you start to see all the repeats right. because things topics that are interesting remain interesting, and as soon as they fade away, somebody else discovers them and does it today. I learned about some weird fact or some part of history or something like that, and they'll post the same thing again. Oh, I also go to or I look at uh, our, you know, the history subreddit because the questions there are sometimes fascinating. People ask these things about historical events. You know, the Romans, how did they do this or that? You know, or in this war, what, why was, why did this, why did they lose this battle or something that makes you kind of scratch your head and say, yeah, I, I learned about that in history class, but that's a good question. Why did they skip over that? And then you actually have real historians going into detail about, well, you got to remember how the economy worked back then and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, okay, fascinating. So, so uh, the history subreddit's a good one to go to. I've got, I add all, all of those in and then I go to my front page and then I just see a mixture of stuff. Um, including right. funny subreddit I've, and yeah, I've got I've got a few subreddits like that added, and I think I'm going to have to pare it down because there's just too much random stuff on my front page. Um, as you can imagine, you know there there are corgi subreddits and this that and the other subreddits. Then, and I think even today I learned or explain it like on five or those kinds of of subreddits. They're interesting, but in the long run, do they really add the value that I'm looking for every day? I'm not sure. I think one of my takeaways just from this little discussion is I need to go, A, clean up my uh, the subreddits that I'm paying attention to, but also start looking for a few more. The other place that I am, um, I spend some time with, not for this show, not news sources specifically, um, is Quora. I think I mentioned it to you a while yeah, back. Yeah. I, like, like you're using uh, Reddit to see what kinds of questions people are asking. Uh, I'm kind of sort of doing that on Quora. And again, also like Reddit, I also get to see what other kinds of answers are being provided. And it's not uncommon for me to see, um, you know, and a question that I'll say is mediocre, doesn't really grab my attention, but then I'll see somebody's just piss poor answer and say, no, 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 no. I got to do better than that. I have a responsibility for, you know, to, to answer this question properly um, and, and, and go on from there. I, I like uh, I'll answer questions at the Mac subreddit sometimes, especially when somebody asks a question and I've done a video on exactly that. Right. Or if somebody's asked a question, rarely am I the first person on the scene, right? And there are th- three or four answers that are wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The wrong answers just get me every time. Uh, I'll go in and say no, 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 no. Um, the but one difference, yeah. the one problem with with Quora, is that um, it's not really. Um, uh, kosher to post a lot of links to your own site. Right. And which I assume is okay in Reddit. It's, it depends on the subreddit. And even then what's written for the subreddit as in what the rules are, don't, aren't always the same because a lot of subreddits will just say, don't link to your own site. And then you'll see it's filled with people linking to their own site. Right. So you have to kind of feel it out. And like on the Mac subreddit, I I've set my own rules and like one of the things I will do is I will rarely ever just say, I have a solution to your problem, here's a video. I will say what the solution is and then include the video if you want to watch it. So I'll say, oh, to do that, you got to do this, this, and this. And that's all you really need to know. And then I'll say, I did a video on this, here it is. 
because some people will just say, oh, I'd rather watch the video and see him do it. Right. Uh, and But then I can't be accused of just, you know, I'm, uh, I have provided a solution. If you don't want to go to my site, you don't have to. Other times I will answer and not provide a link. So I'm not like, if you look through my history, it's not me just linking to my site. It's a lot of times there's just no link at all. It's just a solution. Right. And then for a while, <laughs> there's a there's a weird problem on for Mac users where you could go to the, uh, the About This Mac menu and go to Storage, and it will give you this nice graph of what takes up storage on your, on your Mac. And one of the things that you see pretty quickly is system storage. It'll say system, and then it'll have a really big number, like 80 gigs. Mine's 154. Holy okay. crap. Wait. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Wait. Keep that up on the screen and wait because it'll break it up. The deal is it will grow and grab your system and your library folders, total up that amount, and stick that number there. And then as you wait, it will figure out that, oh, some of this is iCloud, the iCloud cache. It'll break that off, and suddenly your 80 goes to 60, and 20 says iCloud. And then it'll say, oh, wait, some of this is all the musical instruments and sound samples for GarageBand. It'll break that off, and your system system amount gets smaller and smaller and smaller if you wait. But people right away see that and say, well, my system's using this much memory. That's not right. And they'll post uh, saying, why is my system using this much memory? How can I stop it? And I did a whole video on this. And so I decided, okay, there are, people are asking, let me explain and point to my video and then the next day somebody asked the same question and the next day somebody asked the same <laughs> question and so after like two weeks of being well what am i not going to help this guy but i helped the guy yesterday you know i eventually just like i'm not even going to read these anymore i just can't keep posting my same link and my same explanation right everyone that's funny so yeah mine hasn't updated yet it's still telling me 180 gigs or uh, 157 gigs of it'll uh, definitely go down if you just okay. let it sit there, it'll, I will, it'll I will trust you. Analyzing your drive. So. Hey, well, I was just kind of curious. That was interesting. So, yeah. Uh, what's, the, what's your most, out of all our stories here, what's your most interest, the one you're most interested in? Oh, gosh. Um, the one that made me laugh is the, uh, the, the, the thing that made me feel old. Oh, <laughs> yes. I call it the make you feel old because you are department. 40 years ago, the Sony wow. Walkman changed how we listen to music. Did you have one? I did not have a, um, a Walkman, the original tape Walkman. I had a disc version. Oh, wow. That was a long time later. Yeah. yeah. I didn't, I wasn't rich. <laughs> I didn't have a Sony Walkman. <laughs> well, that was like, they were expensive. You know, but that was a way like today, well, like people did with iPods later on and people today do with AirPods walking around with those people. It was almost a little bit of a status symbol. I had a other, another brand <laughs> of portable cassette uh, player. I think if I remember correctly, I think my first one was probably like a Toshiba or something. Interesting. And, and it looked like a Walkman, you know, basically more or less. A lot of times those off-brand ones actually had more stuff right um you know there'll be like maybe you know additional controls maybe you know base uh you know adjustment or uh, i think i don't know if the original sony walkman had a radio i think it might have just been a cassette Ooh, and then they had remember. a yeah. i don't remember but mine was mine was like am fm with a cassette and you know 
but I definitely had that. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I, boy, I always had the thing with me. Um, my parents were some of the first parents to experience the whole, you know, uh, tween or teenager, uh, you know, with the headphones on, not paying attention to them, <laughs> you know, which, which started then that was the beginning of it. And it's yep. continued to this day in just various different devices. But, but yeah, so I always had that thing on, had a selection of cassettes that, uh, I would just play and, um, yeah, fast forward to today, and it's uh, yeah, it's funny. Part of me wants to say things like, you know, the iPod Nano as in terms of a small device, a tiny device that does the same thing. But in reality, you don't see those anymore. Everybody's just using their phone. Yeah, everybody's using – every once in a while, I saw just the other day somebody with an older iPod. Um, people – sometimes people don't like to – I guess run, you know, jog or do something, you know, with a device sure. that could break easily, um, like a phone could if it were to fly Especially off. Especially when they're jogging, I think it bounces around a lot more, and it's easier to put like an iPod or an iPod Nano in a, in kind of like a, a, a wristband or an armband kind of holder. I think some people also love music so much they love the idea of having a device dedicated to music. You know, the, this this is my music device. It's all it does. I've got it set just the way I want. There's not a million apps and different things, and it's a phone and text messages and all that. Right. So, but yeah, the for years, boy, I mean, bat- the batteries I ran through the, uh, <laughs> and you would also listen to music a lot more like over and over because you know, you couldn't have you know today we have streaming services, but even with iPods before you'd have tons of music on it. And then it was, if I was going to be riding a bus somewhere or on a car journey, my parents driving or something like that, I could only carry so many cassettes. I do remember having eventually one of those little cases that, you know, held like, I don't know, 20 cassettes. Oh, yep. Yep. And, I had one of those. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, but and then you were selective about which music and it wasn't unusual to listen to one side of a cassette turn it over, listen to the other side of the cassette, and then just turn it over again and keep listen going yep. because that's the cassette you had and that's, you know, you didn't have that much variety with you. But it yeah. did start the, I mean, you could say the Sony Walkman directly led to the the iPod, directly led to MP3 players, which directly led to smartphones. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So, the beginning- so of the stories we've got listed, which one left, what's what's your, Let's which, which one tickles your fancy? Um... So yeah, so this this Crescent Core malware. Okay. Uh, so it's a piece. It's a typical typical piece of Mac malware, which means it's really hard to get it on your computer. You have to basically go to a a website that's been compromised or is itself malicious. It has to fake you out by telling you you need to download the Flash Player or something with a fake. You know, looks like an alert, but it's just a link. You click on it. You have to download something. Then you have to install it and give it permission and you have to go through all these steps you have to work really hard to get this malware on your machine yet there are still people that you know go through and do all those steps uh, to get the malware on there what's interesting about this particular piece of malware is it tries to uh, evade the researchers it's doing two things that aren't typical one is if it it will try to detect if it's running in a virtual machine Typically, malware researchers will run virtual machines because you can spin up a virtual machine, have Mac or Windows installed on it, purposely infect yourself with it, 
right. you know, test, look around, try to figure out what's going on, all that stuff. And the virtual machine is isolated and you could just delete it later on or you know, spawn a new one and start all over again and maybe with your fix and see how that works. This detects whether there's a virtual machine running and simply doesn't install the malware. So it appears to a researcher that there's nothing wrong with this. Then on top of that, it also looks for various pieces of uh, anti-malware software. And if it detects those, it won't install either. So people that are trying to you know, protect themselves with something and they install this anyway, you know, perhaps people that download a lot of BitTorrent stuff or whatever, and, and so they, they will occasionally get issues, They'll, they won't get this either. So statistically, it's not counting. That, you know, there's no uh, you know, anti-malware software that's saying, oh, this one's a problem, because anti-malware software isn't even seeing this exist. It's bizarre because what that means is your anti-malware software is actually working in the sense yeah. that it's preventing you from getting this malware, just not the way you think. Right. And, you know, the whole thing is just to basically obfuscate, you know, this, try to hide a little bit longer. You know, if a typical piece of malware, you know, has a few weeks where it can get out there and do some damage uh, or whatever it's trying to accomplish, you know, Bitcoin mining or whatever. It could, uh, you know, it's eventually detected and the operating systems, you know, uh, disable it and uh, all of that. The sites maybe get taken down and everything. But something like this will, you know, maybe give it an extra week or two. Uh, I've seen this before. This, I mean, the, the article that we'll link to, you know, treats this as a little something new. But I've seen stuff like this before, even back maybe 10, 15 years ago in the earliest days of WordPress when the WordPress had a lot of problems with malware because your site would get infected and your site would turn into a carrier carrying malware to, to other you know, people. So the idea was the server would get infected through some sort of WordPress exploit. Then you would have ads that would serve it up in your site. They could just be ads or they could be ads for malware or whatever. And a lot of that stuff would actually do things like not show up if it was the admin so okay. you're there at your wordpress site you look and everything looks great but somebody who's not logged in or maybe logged in as a reader you know just somebody reading not somebody who has any permissions would actually see the ads or the pop-up for download this or whatever it was um, and even i've even seen it where it's country-based so a u.s ip address wouldn't see any of the bad stuff Right, I've heard of that one happening before. Yeah, actually. but other so then you could have this website that's actually carrying all this this stuff, and and you have no idea. It looks fine to you. It looks fine to all your friends, you know. But people in other countries are seeing it. I I'm pretty sure there's definitely the opposite is also happening, where it seems like there's some websites, um, newspaper websites overseas, and sometimes you click and there's an article and it's a a newspaper. It doesn't happen to be an American newspaper. Uh, and there's an article there, and you look, and the ads are really bad. They're like telling you to, you know, oh, there's a virus on your computer, download this now, and all that. And I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure some of that stuff is not allowed, uh, you know, through the major ad networks. But I can't help but thinking, I bet you, back in the home country of this newspaper, they're right. not seeing that at all. Right. It's only in the U.S. that we're seeing that. So they're clueless. They have no idea that their site's been infected with something. 
Well, it's interesting too, because we're already used to not seeing the same ads everywhere. I mean, yeah. you know, by, by the nature of a properly functioning ad network, if you visit a site from the US and versus visiting it from, say, the Netherlands, you will absolutely see two different, often completely different sets of ads. So not only does it have to be, you know, not only do you have to notice that it's a different ad, but you have to notice that it's a bad ad. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, there's so many levels of bad ads nowadays. Uh, you know, it's incredible. I mean, from the uh, clickbait, I consider them to be pretty bad. Um, and then there's the pure, like download something that's bad for your machine or I, you know, I don't know. There's just, there's, ah, there's so much, it's very frustrating. And yeah. I see these on my game sites, my own game sites, even though I have things turned off, you know, not certain ads aren't supposed to be shown on them. Uh, I think a lot of them lie to Google. I actually had uh, somebody complain for the other day that they were seeing an ad on one of my games, a card game of something, that there was uh, the the female characters in the ads were showing a lot of skin, mm-hmm. and um, they and their kids were playing these games, and they were upset about that. And you know, I just have Google AdMob ads on there, but there's a specific exclusion there for ads that show too much skin and I have that checked off. So the, you know, the advertiser there in the self-service system that Google has is basically lying and not, not admitting that they, they have this. So, um, which is, which is bad because, you know, now I've got somebody mad at me who knows I might've left a bad review even. Uh, and it's, uh, I've even had things where I've had ads like that show up, and somebody will complain about it to the store. So in, in that particular case, it was the Google Play Store. And then I get dinged as a Google Play distrib- you know, distributor uh, or publisher, I guess, of apps for having uh, adult content in my card game. And yet and, it's the very ad that Google itself provided. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Which is so, so infuriating because right. all it takes is somebody to hit the little, there's a little thing like in the corner of the ad and then you can give feedback and then you go into it deep enough. You can actually say, you know, this is a sexually explicit ad. And uh, believe me, there is a big, big whole cat- category of sexually explicit ads. And I have that turned off. Right. You should never see that, but somebody's lying somewhere along the way and then I'm the one that gets in trouble. The one game that I tried to play for a while and it was just a losing game uh, was to try and identify advertisers and then block them. You can go in and block specific advertisers from your site. But um, A, there are so many. Um, It's just phenomenal. And as we were saying earlier, you don't see the ads that are shown on your site in all locations. So you really are either relying on people to nicely tell you that there was a bad advertiser and who that was and, and provide enough information for you to identify who that was, um, or just be able to stumble across it yourself. But even then, you know, you, I block one and there'd be another, I block one and there'd be another. I just, no, that's just not a game I can play. Um, it's really, really frustrating. Um, the ones that bother me the most by far, and they, have, they disproportionately affect all tech-related sites, are the download ads. The, the ads that look like a download button 
Uh, well, and I, Shane Kevin's out here. He hates those. Yeah, well, yeah, I know, I know. And I think he's probably still playing the whack-a-mole game that I was just describing uh, to get so many of those sites um, off of off of his properties. Um, it's just very frustrating. And actually, in in my case specifically, I will often you know point people to to software out on the web, but I have to then tell them be careful. Right. This this yeah. particular ad, this particular site has advertising that looks like download buttons. They are not. They are advertisements. Here's the piece you click. And I, in, in one case, I've actually gone so far as to provide a screenshot to highlight this is where the download link is. This is the one you want ah. to click on. It's oh, that man. bad. So anyway. So, yeah, the, we've diverted a little bit from the Crescent Core malware. It's... To me, it's it's always been a game of of cat and mouse, right? The malware um, uh, creators are always trying to come up with ways to evade, or as you point out, delay detection, so that they can get as as many uh, uh, you know infections or or whatever as they can. I call it the race. Um, I've referred to this on on oh, a couple yeah. of articles before. It's a race between. Uh, malware creators and malware detectors, if you will, the security software. And unfortunately, by the very definition of this race, you and I are always behind. The malware creators are always ahead because they always come up with new techniques, new things, new whatevers. And it's not until they release that into the wild that we end up finding out about it and then coming up with ways to prevent. We, we can only react to we it. Can we can only never, react, yeah. exactly. And you know, the, the only thing we really have in our control is that window between, you know, the, the malware, the techniques arrival, and then its eventual detection. And yeah, anything that they do to make that window longer means that that particular technique is more successful to them than, than some of the others. Yeah. I mean, I just tell, you know, my viewers, readers and stuff, it's just, you know, downloading and installing software should be a major trigger for you to stop and think all the time. Yep. Oh, it, it's this, it's this totally separate action. It's like crossing the street, right? You're walking down the street, you're walking on the sidewalk. It's all automatic. You're strolling, but you get to a corner. Then it's like, Oh, I need to stop. I need to look for cars. Is there a light? Is there a walk sign? You know, what's go? how, how far down is the curb? You know, when I step off, you automatically stop and think when you cross a street although not when you're walking. It's the same thing for downloading. When you're going through your business, looking at the internet, doing things, you get to a point where we're going to hit a link to download something or start the process that's going to give you something on your computer. You stop and then you go through this whole mental checklist. What, it, what site is this? What software is this? Do I even need this software? How important is it? Do I trust this site? Am I sure it's a legitimate site? You know, all these other things. And of course, a lot of people fail in the whole... Um, do I really need this kind of thing? Right. <laughs> you know, because it, you have to, there's a certain risk every time you download something. And so, you know, you think about it, is it just like, I just want to see what this is. Is there another way to just see what this is? Like, can I just read more about this? Maybe decide if I really need it or maybe think, look in the, in the, you know, either the, uh, Mac App Store or Microsoft App Store, right? right? That's what it's called, right? The Microsoft. You know, is there something equivalent in there? And that's that's another thing. Is right now there's a lot of stuff, say, in the Mac App Store, and so if you're downloading, say, a Clipboard Manager, you know what? 
is there a clipboard manager in the Mac App Store? Yes. There are probably about yes. a dozen. Yeah. So, <laughs> so do I need to download it from the site I've never heard of? Now, it could be still be a completely legitimate site. It's not like just because you don't know and don't trust the site doesn't right. mean it's necessarily bad, but you have to minimize risk. Right. And, and when in doubt, just don't download it. Yep. You know. I love the analogy, the crossing the street analogy. I might have to steal that. Oh yeah. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> I think it's it's well it's it's a it's a tangible way. One of the things I always struggle for, look for when I'm when I'm trying to explain things on Ask Leo are these kind of real world analogies that people can can compare what they're doing to uh what they're doing to. Uh the one that I just um I created an article today, actually, earlier today. Um Telling people, you know, is it, you know, can I continue to use Windows 7 safely? Because the, you know, it's, it's end of life is coming up here later this year. And just like Windows XP, there are people that want to keep using it basically mm-hmm. forever. And the analogy that I use that I was kind of proud of is it's not unlike uh, having, you know, continuing to drive that 57 Chevy you're in love with. The car is working. It gets you where you need to go. You know how to make it do what you want it to do. Uh, now, you may have problems finding parts or unleaded gasoline, and it doesn't have all the latest safety features like seat belts and auto lock brakes and so forth, but it still will get you from point A to point B. It depends now more on your ability to drive it safely than it does on the car's ability to keep you safe. So those are the kinds of analogies that I just love. And like I said, crossing the cross, look both ways before you download is probably... Uh, <laughs> I like that. Something- I now- now I may have to steal that from you. You're welcome to it. I I, I think we now have a title for the episode. <laughs> I um, I, yeah. No, I I may actually I may do this as a fun episode. I may take my iPhone out here this week and walk down the street and and discuss this as I'm walking along. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and don't be a counterexample where you don't look both ways. Yeah, I know. Crossing the street and get yeah. Now here's what happens if I don't. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a long episode with an ambulance ride in the ER. And, <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of long episode, hey, we've yes. got a few minutes long. Wow. Yes, we have. We should wow. wrap I mean, it up. Yeah. Good time to wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh74. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at the TEH Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we will see you here again next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.